0: hello everyone and welcome back to sonic shuffle the music podcast where the topic is determined by fate i'm your host andrew mullen and just off the back of a a really enjoyable episode for me i really enjoyed uh researching uh last episode's artist and if you have not listened to that please feel free to do so for that episode, I shuffled from a playlist of, of things, you know, that I find around Spotify that I haven't heard of. And um, I did that because I wanted to do an episode on the artist that I hadn't heard before, and I got exactly that. I was very happy to do so. But today, on this episode, we're going to do something pretty much the complete opposite of that. You know, as a kind of a treat for myself, um, since my birthday is coming up later this month, actually, uh, by the time this episode should hopefully be coming out. Uh, it'll probably be a couple of week, sorry, not a couple of weeks, a couple of days after my twenty fourth birthday. Oh boy, quarter life crisis here it comes. Uh, and I also recently, uh, I don't know if a promotion is the exact wording for it, but a position at my job that I'm much happier, I think, to be at. So, um, with all that being said, I'm, yeah, I, I think I deserve to treat myself just a little bit, and because of that. I'm going to be shuffling from my all-time favorites playlist on Spotify. It's pretty self-explanatory. These are my all-time favorite songs. Hopefully we'll get an all-time favorite artist, perhaps. I don't know. I knew I wanted to get an artist for this episode that I was at least fairly familiar with. An artist that I could maybe not call myself an expert on, but what I could definitely hold my own in a conversation about without having to do any research prior. Because I, I, for the most part, I've got an artist on this podcast that I'm that I haven't been super familiar with and I've only known one or two extra songs about. So, yeah, I thought this would be a nice little change of pace. And since you know this episode's release date is lining up around my birthday, I thought I would treat myself and go one step further with it. So, we're just going to go right to my all-time favorites playlist. Um, but before I get going, I do want to remind everyone that I have an email that you could email any suggestions or feedback or whatnot i will be setting up social media stuff soon it's not something i'm super good at keeping up with the social medias and whatnot so god i i I promise i'm actually a zoomer but or a zennial or whatever whatever i'm I'm 20 i'm 23 almost 24. yeah but geez geez i i do not act like it sometimes when i say i don't keep up with the social medias jesus christ but no, I will be setting up uh, like a Twitter page and whatnot for this uh, podcast shortly, hopefully soon. And um, you can keep up with me through there. It's probably much better. But the email is always there uh, for you to send uh, feedback to and whatnot. That is in the description of this podcast if you would like to do so. Anyways. That being said, let, let's just dive into it. I think we all know generally how this works by now. If you haven't been keeping up with the uh, podcast, um, you know, this is I shuffle, su- shuffle playlist, shuffle like songs whatever, and I talk about whatever artist comes up if they meet a certain criteria. I will not be boring, everyone, <laughs> with, with the details on that in the intro from here on out. So let's just hit play and see who I get.
1: She gave you everything she had.
0: Garbage, the song Cherry Lips Go Baby Go. Classic track from a classic late 90s alternative band. Yeah, we're definitely doing Garbage. Yeah, that that works. Oh, uh 2.1 million monthly listeners on Spotify. Top track, Stupid Girl, is under uh, 76 million poppy listeners. That's that's a little big, but they definitely have enough albums for sure. I don't know exactly how many albums they have, but they have enough, for sure. They made a lot of records over the years, so... Yeah, most likely this will involve my girlfriend if she wants to be on it, uh, because, yeah, she's a big Garbage fan, as am I. So, cool, Garbage, that's who we're gonna do with this next episode. Stay tuned.
1: Believe that such a body was for real It seemed like
0: rainbows would
1: appear Whenever you came here the clouds would disappear Because you look just like a girl Your baby blues would flash And suddenly a spell was cast you such a death
0: Alright, and we're back from listening to some Absolute garbage um in this case the band garbage not garbage music i should probably clarify it's 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 a joke do you do you, do you get it y'all get it do you get a brie?
2: yeah it's very funny you can tell by how much i'm laughing
0: i bet no one has made a joke like that before including the bands themselves um but yes, anyways, as uh, I'm sure you all heard, um, we're talking about Garbage today, the classic mid to late 90s alternative rock band and, of course, made music well after that. But it was definitely their, their prime heyday for sure. And um, definitely a band I've really wanted to talk about on the show at some point. I always thought it would be fun if I would get Garbage, uh, largely because I'd be able to invite they're a very special guest who you just heard talk a second ago who's already been on the show once you're, you're you're the first time second you're the first ever second uh time how am i how do i say this brie you are the first person to ever be a guest of the show twice that's what i was trying to say How how do you feel about that
2: well i don't know how special that makes me because i'm not exactly far away from you so it's pretty easy <laughs> And also, you know, every single band that I've ever liked at this point. So you instantly know if I'll be appropriate for the episode or not.
0: Did you make it sound like we live together or something?
2: <laughs> I know, it's crazy.
0: Yes, anyways, yes. Um, if you don't remember, uh, Burie was a uh, guest on episode three, I believe. Uh, she is my uh, wonderful, significant other and also someone I keep trying to have on uh, to shuffle her library but I keep getting bands I know she loves and knows way more about than I do <laughs> and I keep having to bring around the guests one day we will shuffle your library Brie and we will we will do an Avril Levine episode I know you're gonna find a way to make it happen uh when we do that but um nevertheless um uh, that is today is not that day we're here to talk about garbage but before we move on Brie in case some people listening didn't listen to that episode the first episode you were on, would you like to introduce yourselves and maybe kind of lead into uh, the band they were talking about today?
2: One of the commonalities that, actually a couple of the commonalities that that band has with this one is um, grunge elements and being appealing to the LGBTQ plus community. So that's funny. (laughs) I'm your, well, no, because you had been on before, but as far as Um, being the most consistent, um, guest, I am, like, your resident queer person.
0: Yes, and also resident woman as, as well. Yes. And resident person of color, too. Yeah. So, thank you.
2: Yeah, you're welcome, (laughs) the token.
0: I, I didn't mean it like that, no.
2: Well, someone has to balance out your energy.
0: Yes, my privileged white male energy, for sure. Um... (laughs) (laughs) my goodness um but no no i absolutely i'm happy to have you on here for this episode because um i know garbage means a lot to you um finally getting into actually talking about the band here um and i've known about garbage for a long time obviously they're Arguably one of the biggest alternative bands of the entire nineteen nineties, um, and one of the biggest you know names in alternative rock still to this day. But especially having gone through the discography, I kind of realized my um, expertise with this band kind of goes more on a song by song basis. I know like songs by them, even if they're like album tracks, I'll, I'll I'll pick up songs from here and there. But I had I'm not really familiar with their discography as a whole, or even you know albums as a whole. So. Um, I think you were kind of more an expert in um, their discography as a whole with their albums and kind of explored their meanings and whatnot and uh, the band themselves, particularly uh, Shirley Manson. Mm-hmm. But um, I kind of want you to describe to me how you got into this band and why they mean so much to you and whatnot and just your experience with them as a whole.
2: Yeah, so I got into garbage, I would say my junior year of high school, which would have been 2016. So I was 16 years old, and I was getting really into grunge and industrial metal. So at the time, my favorite bands were like um, Nirvana and Nine Inch Nails. And I think the first song I came across when them was only happy when it rains I don't really remember how probably Spotify just suggested it to me because I've always been a Spotify loyalist even though there there are many ways like a shitty company I just was a, obsessed with how many different ways you could um customize your playlists and things like that so I think it was probably just the algorithm that gave them to me eventually and um I really liked having a uh strong female vocalists that I could get into because, um, most of the popular grunge oriented vocalists are men. And I hadn't really seen that kind of representation yet. I mean, there was obviously Courtney Love, but she's very problematic as a person. So I'm not always really in the mood to listen to whole. And also there's not nearly as much material from that band as there is from garbage. So that was really a cool feeling. And, um, I liked how they mixed in electronic elements as well. It kind of married the two genres that I was most interested in at the time and um, ended up being a very formative experience for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, more eloquent and more special to me. I I couldn't even tell you how I first got into them. Um, I want to say I really, really started to get... um more into them probably my maybe my senior year of high school early in my college career like my freshman year i remember uh, yeah probably only happened in, in a rain this is probably one of the first songs i heard from them and uh you know coming across albums like bleed like me um and whatnot it really intrigued me and i think you you kind of mentioned you know this band being you know part of the grunge scene more or less and you know maybe 90s alt scene as general and, and while I'd certainly agree with that, they definitely stand out. They're definitely not just your traditional grunge band. Um, I wouldn't I mean, you can compare them to, to Nirvana. I don't think it's a bad, you know, comparison to make necessarily, but they kind of stand in their own place. They have that electro rock sound, you know, under this distorted kind of dour melancholy music, which we'll kind of get a little more into that later. But to me, that's a very distinct sound. That's garbage. I think garbage kind of owns that. And you know, when they came out, you know, in the mid nineties, again, I wasn't there. I wasn't even a thought yet. Um, I can only imagine about how fresh they would have sounded then. Of course, I didn't know the context of that necessarily when I first heard them, but I could definitely tell there was something special. I think the way Shirley delivered her vocals and whatnot, and kind of this, you know, even though I wasn't super into electronic music then, and I'm not really now but at, at that time when I was getting into them I was probably starting to ease up on it at least a little bit and I thought they were just an absolute powerhouse and I really dug their music and I've only consistently grown to love them more over time especially having uh especially since I started dating you because um obviously you really like them a lot and uh I was exposed to more of their songs that I hadn't heard of before and now I stand here as a garbage fan and I'm very excited to talk about them today
2: Yeah, me too. Definitely. I think they're very important and really influential and extremely unique.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I guess some background points we're going to start diving into the band particularly. Um, Well, first of all, Brie, I I actually wanted to pose a question to you. Hopefully I'm not putting you too much on the spot here Uh, because I was, I've been thinking about this, you know, ever since we started listening to the music for this episode and researching and whatnot. Do you think Garbage is underrated and what i mean by that is i've heard them talked about you know among alternative circles before you know alternative rock circles alternative rock discussions it's certainly brought up as yeah a notable name with the 90s alt scene but and maybe it's just my perception and the fact that i hadn't really researched them as a band before but i was surprised to kind of by the impression that i got from researching them how Big of a deal that were even at their time even though um you may not be put the same pinnacle as a let's say um they're certainly they seem to me like they were celebrated but um, when researching it but i've never gotten the impression that people consider them a huge name in terms of like importance to that scene even though i would argue especially after having researched and listened to this band it absolutely should be considered they really were Kind of the next logical step in their sound um, for grunge for alternative rock in the '90s, but I don't know if they're often given that. Do I? I wanted to know what you thought about that. Do you think they've been given the credit they deserve, or do you think that maybe they're a little underrated, a little undercredited with their influence to that sound?
2: Well, it's kind of harder to say now because of the internet, because everything is so compartmentalized and niche, and any kind of even slightly obscure topic can have thousands of people that are actively talking about it every single day and give it popularity within that audience. I don't I almost don't feel like there's such a thing as mainstream audiences anymore because um a bunch of different audiences of varying sizes can sometimes have a big pull on what's popular at the moment. But if you're referring to just like modern like uh, rock audiences, um, yeah. I would say so. Like if you are talking about just people that are um, music fans and like discuss the genre. On, uh, and for me, I'm thinking of online. I never listened to the radio. So I don't know like what, I don't know what's going on in that realm of analog media or whatever. But if you're just talking about like people that are influential that talk about music online. Yeah, I definitely think so. Cause most of those people are, I'm sorry, but they're like your demographic except they're older a lot of the people that um are in these spaces are like in their 30s um they you know there are people that actually remember the period of time when this band was really popular and first coming out um but for some reason I don't see them mentioned as much as yeah like Nirvana or Nine Inch Nails and that is really a shame I think and I don't know why that is really Um, maybe it's because they can't be as easily categorized as other bands or maybe it's because they don't have like a tragic enough um, backstory or something Um, unfortunately it seems to be the case like that whenever a front person of a band dies that's when people start to like idolize them and make them into this big legend
0: although Pearl Jam that that didn't happen to Pearl Jam and yet they're still celebrated way more so than garbage and maybe they were more more commercially successful i don't know i don't have the exact numbers although alive was hugely successful but and i don't know i mean if they are underrated would i mean do you think sexism might play a role in that i mean i mean straight up
2: for sure yeah definitely i also just think it's because garbage has always been for an audience that's a little bit weird even for alternative subculture standards um a lot of their lyrics are just really odd they combine motifs of sexuality and religion and um despair (laughs) all of their songs have a really um off-putting atmosphere so I don't think they're as accessible as other bands I think their debut definitely is like the big singles off the debut but other than that um not really. I think you have to be a certain kind of person to regularly consume their stuff. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, really. I couldn't say for sure, but I do agree that they are a bit underrated in general, out of the bigger bands from that time period. And it should not be that way.
0: No, I I, I think they're absolutely fantastic. And I'll, well obviously, we'll get to our thoughts about their music in a little bit. But um, first, I kind of kind of want to jump off to something you're making and move on to the topic of their sound garbage has evolved a little bit over time with how their records sound but typically speaking they've kind of stuck with i don't want to say the same formula because it makes me sound repetitive i don't think that's fair at all but kind of the the same general motifs and sounds Um, In terms of both lyrics and um, obviously, you know, how things are structured, how the production is. I mean, there's definitely been changes over time. Um, In your words, how would you best describe Garbage to someone who has never heard of them before?
2: I would say their sound is like if you took um, Nirvana's Bleach and combined it with... um, Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine, and then randomly, I feel like they also have a glam rock vibe. I don't know if that's just because they exude a kind of queerness or because some of their stuff is more poppy, but yeah.
0: I think you hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, um, I think you pretty much summed up every aspect of their sound for sure. I think the glam rock definitely definitely fits there because it's not just industrial. When I think of their electro rock, it doesn't feel just industrial there's kind of like a pumped up energy to a lot of their stuff even if what they're singing about is sad even if it's like a minor key there's still something aggressive and kind of um up tempo about their stuff
2: yeah they've always just said that it's pop music so there is that sensibility there there's angsty riffs there's beep boops and <laughs> beep <poops>. oh yeah <laughs> and um shiny production i would say
0: yeah, and you know, I, I kind of want to rig up their sound, and then we'll kind of get in, dive into the band's history here. But there is a certainly a point I wanted to make about this band, at least where I think they kind of fit in the context of the time when they were first coming out, because uh, they formed in I know ninety three. I think their first song was ninety five, but. Something that I always hear, uh, again, I wasn't, like I said, I was not alive in the mid-90s. I was born in 98, so sure, I'm a 90s kid in the sense was I was like two years old when the new millennium hit, so like I existed, sure, but not really in, in a conscious way, but from someone i know who was there during the time uh there is a youtuber goes by the name of thomas shadows he reviews a lot of modern pop music and kind of looks back at old like flop records and uh, what hit wonders um pretty good youtube channel if you've never checked him out you should but he's always talked about growing up in the 90s he kind of remembers the early 90s particularly in, like the rock side of things be very sad and depressing obviously referring to grunge music and Mainly probably spurred by maybe after the death of Kurt Cobain, things kind of got happier according to him. he That's the perception he always had uh, in terms of music kind of moving in a more pop, more, you know, happier direction, generally speaking, and people were looking for that. But obviously nothing happens overnight so for me when i think about garbage at the time when they came out i i feel like their sound was like the perfect moment because yes they definitely had their sad depressing music and we'll certainly talk about that at length during this episode but their electro rock energy having that pumped up dynamic to their sound it, it felt like an evolution we were moving past you know the like the, the sadness of, that was my impression of uh, late. Daily, by the way, if <laughs> you couldn't tell. Um, knows how just horrendous my impressions are, so I apologize for bestowing that upon everyone. But I mean, generally speaking, you know, you, you know what I mean though, right? It is that kind of depressing sound that, sure, some of that's still there in its tone, but it's not the same. There is something new added to it where it could move on still realistically along with the rest of the where the rest of the decade was going as far as music went and as far as rock music went too um i don't know if that made any sense to me but that's generally how i feel about how they fit you know in
2: the timeline when they came out it's like if grunge started taking antidepressants so like it's still sad but there's a lot of other stuff going on in the background that's like wee so um you know, it was, I think that they really bridged a gap and kind of filled the void that um, was needed at the time, definitely, and helped push things along into a different direction after a moment where it seemed like um, nobody knew what the hell was going to happen. All right.
0: Are there any other points you want to make, Bree, or do you just want to start start diving into uh, the band's history?
2: Yeah, I want to go into the history.
0: All right. You've got the floor, Bree. Go right ahead.
2: So garbage is from Madison, Wisconsin, and immediately it's understandable that they're from the Midwest because this is indeed one of the most um, grief inducing regions of the United States, I think (laughs) I can say that we're in Michigan so it's really, really is miserable. Um, They formed in 1994 and the lineup is Butch Vig, or as their vocalist would say, Butch Veg, on drums, loops, and sound effects. Uh, Duke Erickson does guitar, keyboard, and bass, and Steve Marker does, he does strings too, but he also does uh, sampling work. During this year, they were all producing remixes for bands like Depeche Mode and Nine Inch Nails. And they wanted to take the techniques that they were using to do that within the context of a band setup. Um, a friend, when hearing some rough mixes of the stuff that they were experimenting with, said that their uh, subversive and eclective, sometimes abrasive work sounded, quote, like garbage, which um, the story goes solidified the group's name. So since they had primarily worked with ensembles that were all dudes, the band decided they wanted a female lead with a strong, unique personality without a high, chirpy, girly quality to her voice, as they put it. They wanted somebody with a little bit more of a unique vibe. Um, I think that they referenced like Susie Sue and the vocalist from Blondie, somebody that was very easily recognizable. So then uh, Marker saw the video for Suffocate Me by a group called Angelfish and showed it to the other members and their, man- and their manager decided to try to track her down. She did not know who Butch Vig was, and they told her to check the credits on Nirvana's Nevermind, which he produced. They were like, well, yeah, go ahead and get yourself learned then. <laughs> <laughs> um, her integration into the band was rocky. During their first meeting, news of Kirk Cobain's suicide broke. Um, two later auditions didn't go smoothly either, since Manzan was not a session musician, and she had never really written songs collaboratively before. But um, she and the guys had similar taste in tunes, and eventually the mutual awkwardness they all felt kind of brought them together and she was a member after ad-libbing some lyrics over early versions of tracks that would be featured on their debut album. Um, they're all equally involved in the creative process, and the lineup has not changed ever since they first formed, which is quite an achievement. I yes, think.
0: it is. Yeah, rarely does that ever happen, so good um, on your garbage then.
2: Their self-titled album, Garbage, which came out in 1995, is one of my favorite albums of all time. It has such an amazing sound, which I referenced earlier, that mixes lackadaisical grunge with steely industrial in a way that feels cinematic. Um, Like, I also said earlier it has themes of sex religion and inner turmoil that are both morbidly interesting as well as artistically significant with tracks like uh, as heaven is wide my lover's box and a b-side call a girl don't come
0: yeah uh, do you mind if i interject right here real quick because mm-hmm. this is a very special record i mean i kind of mentioned this earlier but e- even 20 20- 25 years however long it's been uh, how like 20 25 years removed from the release of this record actually it's probably almost close to 30 now at this point it's crazy you can still tell how fresh this would have sounded at the time i mean there just wasn't really anything that sounded like this i mean yeah you had nine inch nails a lot of industrial music but this was you know a lot of dance music that was also very included a lot of like techno sounds as well but it never had it kind of been fused with Distorted sort of rock like this and you know in the style of like grunge and for me because we've talked long enough i'd want to make sure we have time to play a song here and i'll promise i'll let you have your say your piece about the song after but for me if i had to pick one song to sum up garbage's entire sound like if i just looking over there across the entire discography there's one song i think represents the most that is of course only happy with a Rings. Let's hear a little bit of that.
2: Only happy when it rains was a seminal song in my late teenage years especially senior year of high school um, as i said i had been exploring the grunge genre but also my perspective on the world as a whole was very dark. I was solidifying my negative perspective on the state of US politics, and I was considered the lowest of the low on the totem pole at school. I was bullied a lot. I felt like a total outcast and a weirdo. Um, I was also dealing with a lot of mental health and mood issues, which my family has a history of, including things like bipolar disorder and depression so whenever i would fall into really low periods there were times when like i didn't take care of myself my hair was really greasy my room was just awful i was wearing like the same hoodie for weeks Um, i downloaded the music video for this song to my phone so that i could listen even when there was poor signal in say the school cafeteria its aesthetic was inspirational to me as far as mixing this really despondent like gray color with spots of bright color. Uh, To me, it's about celebrating cynicism and finding joy in darkness, just kind of being above it all. Um, so it gave me a lot of solace as someone whose idea of fun was holding up and watching true crime documentaries all night. Listening to it was a cathartic, almost euphoric experience. It helped me accept that maybe I was flawed and a little messed up inside and that was okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic way of viewing the song, Maybe a little less cynical than my, I don't know if cynical is the right word. They're definitely different the way I interpret, but I think that's still a great way of looking at it. And honestly it might be a, closer to the true interpretation than what I have, but when I listen to this song, you know, it's such an intention grabbing title. And I certainly agree that the song is about depression. But something that kinda of intrigued me is um I think Butchvig said at one point that uh the song is Kinda of supposed to be a tongue-in-cheek take at 90s like alt-rock sadness, basically. Not the exact words you would have used, but that was my understanding of it, which kinda of took me by surprise a little bit because to me this the song does such a good job summing up a late stage depression. I'm not saying that I have it, but from my understand it, there kinda of comes to a point with a lot of people who have depression and they got no other experiences experiences it differently. But something I have heard before is that there comes to a point where they're almost more comfortable being depressed or being in a depressive state than not. Like, it's just what they've grown accustomed to so much. It's, it's just kind of where they'd rather be, which may, may, maybe that's not the exact way they were going for it. But that's the way I've always t- took the song. And... Um, the very least, it, it served uh, as a comforting song for me as well when I get sad or I get in a bad mental state, even if I can't fully relate to maybe what the song was aiming for. I just think it's a, just a, not only just a classic song in their discography, but just an all-time great classic song of the entire 90s, capturing the zeitgeist and the moods at the time.
2: I think there's a lot of truth to what you've said. There's a... Nirvana Lyric even that says, I miss the comfort in being sad. And I think that the reason that kind of phenomenon exists is because it's familiar if you deal with depressive episodes a lot and it gets harder when you're recovering or in periods where where you're better able to cope with it because then you have to actually like face your problems more. Because if you get past the point where you're struggling to do basic functions like brush your teeth, You have to think more about other things that are going on in your life that you might not want to think about or deal with, and you don't want to have to feel things and you'd rather just like stay numb and just be in a completely different dimension of thought. But yeah, I can see there being a sarcastic tone to it, too. And if I would have known that when I was first getting into the song and really latching onto it, I don't think I would have cared. I would have just been like, you know what? Yeah, I am a cliche. I'm like a teenage girl that chain smokes Marlboro Reds and wears flannel shirts and dark eyeshadow and thinks that I'm like Frances Bean. I probably would have been like, whatever, it's fine. Everything's ironic anyway. So I don't mind that interpretation either, I don't think.
0: No, I I guess I don't either. And I guess when I say I was surprised by that, you know, Manson does such a good job selling it and so does such a good job kind of delivering those lines. It doesn't feel like parody, like at all. I don't know, maybe, maybe that wasn't true. Maybe I read that quote wrong. But it, it is interesting to think about it that way because, like I said, it's done so well. I'm sure by the, by like the mid nineties, I'm not saying that they should be viewed this way, like individual songs should be viewed this way, because a lot of those people in grunge talked about very serious topics like drug, drug addiction and depression and loss and things that should not be made light of. But as a whole, I imagine that, yeah, it maybe for some people who weren't like super into grunge, the idea of looming, depressive, sad state of tone, I should say not state of music at the time. Yet, almost probably got ridiculous to them at a certain point. So I could see why maybe they went the direction of that song.
2: Yeah, Shirley doesn't sound disingenuous in the song at all. But to be fair, her delivery is pretty theatrical, more so than maybe on other songs that I've heard her on maybe that's what it was intended as maybe it's not but at this point i think it's pretty subjective to the listener and either way it is a great song
0: but we have the rest of this album to talk about a fantastic album might i have and uh brie would you like to carry on talking about it
2: yeah so it opens with super vixen which is sultry loud seductive cool and badass um it's it's really quite a song to start off with because it just hits you with kind of like a wall of sound. And I think it has a really mysterious energy and yeah, I don't know. Um, it's just very impactful, I think. And then there's a queer, which has a sinister and ominous tone. It almost seems like it could be in a movie um, as the monologue of like a villain. (laughs) I've always interpreted it as a commentary on conformity and being in the closet, where it seems as though the speaker is trying to lure someone into a world that they have always perceived as depraved and for the other. Even if that's not how it was originally written, that's the vibe that it gives me because queerness is often very demonized and alienated in society. And if someone has been raised in an atmosphere where that's the case, but then later on finds out that they might not be straight or cis or whatever it is, then it can be a really terrifying experience. And it can feel like they're being corrupted in some Mm -hmm. way
0: yeah i think this is the first time of many that we will hear this band kind of address issues related to the lgbtq plus community I, i definitely want to explore that in their third record i believe where that topic really reaches an apex i would say in their
2: career please continue then there is the iconic stupid girl which is about a person who's superficial and squanders their potential behaving like a people pleaser in life There's a quote from Manson that reads, I see a lot of women distancing from the idea of feminism and it makes me ape shit crazy. I've been very privileged and lucky to travel around the world, and one thing that shocks me is how women are treated. So to see privileged white girls bark on, well, I don't believe in feminism, just makes me so angry and crazy, and I completely agree with her. I think especially in the mid-2010s, there was this big thing where some women would be like, well, I'm not a feminist, I just believe in equality, but I'm not like those crazy radical feminists, or people would be like, I'm an egalitarian. Feminism was heavily demonized in like the Gamergate era, for those of you who are like more online and into YouTube, who will know what that even is. And it is white, like cis women who are able-bodied, like the most privileged of women, that were appealing to that kind of ideology in service of not appearing too controversial. It is very infuriating because it felt as though they were just enabling the patriarchy instead of trying to fight against it. And you can still find women like this today. It hasn't gone away. It's not really in mainstream discussion anymore, but nowadays I think people use the term pick me girl." which just means like a woman that seeks validation from men at the detriment of other women. It's kind of similar to the not like other girls thing, but not exactly. Stupid Girl, I think, is about someone who dumbs themselves down knowingly just to appeal to others. I think that's represented in the line, all you had, you wasted. So it's not as though she's trying to demean the subject of the song at all. She's just upset that she's not using all of the wonderful things that she could offer the world and instead is just choosing to be whatever somebody else wants her to be
0: absolutely oh that being said let's listen to a little bit of stupid girl All right, and um, I also do want to add to this song uh, samples, uh, The Clashers Train in Vain. So, definitely willing to use samples as well. And, like, obviously, Brie wonderfully spelled out, talk about, I guess you would say controversial, even though I don't think this should be controversial, uh, the topic talked about here. I definitely want to ta- tackle those themes. You know, I think it's, uh, yeah, just an absolute iconic track from this band, uh, one of, if not arguably their biggest songs, the most, at least the most well-known song. Yeah, it certainly, I think, helped make their career. I guess any other songs I wanted to mention, uh, Super Vixen was also up there. I think it uses, is a good use of vocal effects on that song, I should add. And uh, as Heaven is Wide adds this kind of disco feel. Um, I, I really like how each song kind of follows an overlying sound, but they're tweaked individually slightly enough to give them their own personality and their flavor. Also, they are talk a lot about stark subjects too. If you want to go back to the lyrics, to Stroke of Back Luck is a. Very clearly an eerie look into a toxic and abusive relationship, something Shirley Manson would definitely go back to as time goes on in her career. My Lover's Box has an epic guitar solo. I forget um, who's their guitarist again. Uh, what was his last name? Steve Marker. So um, yeah, he's a, he's a great guitarist. I don't think he gets mentioned enough with, when talking about this band. I think he's really good. If there's one more song that i want to play here it's gonna be milk i think it's a really underrated album track from this from this record and uh i really like the slow burn eer- eeriness to it and the fact that it's just called randomly called milk i think that's a little funny funny to cherry on top of that so let's hear a little bit of that I mean, overall, this, as far as debut records go, few of them are as solid as this is. They're, I don't think there's a dud track on this record, and it's just jam packed with great hooks and samples, really punchy yet eerie production. I, I, I love how, like, there's so much of a distorted punch with, like, the guitars and the drums. They're just. Either overlaid on top of, or kind of bridge the gap between sections of just eerie darkness. The, the band does it really well on here, and I think this really sets them up for the career that they had, and it's just an absolutely great introduction. Yeah, is there anything else you want? Any closing thoughts you wanted to make about this uh, album? Brief?
2: Just that anybody interested in um, grunge or industrial should check it out if they haven't already, because I think that it is really emblematic of what was going on in music then and it's to me it's kind of timeless because of all the different elements that it puts together
0: i agree and and just to reiterate this is one of your favorite albums ever right yeah would, would you rank it like what your top 10 top five
2: i think top 10 yeah cool
0: all right well fantastic anyways let's move right along to version 2.0 their second record release Hey look at that, 1998, the year I was born in. This album is as old as me. That's kind of weird to say, but it is. Would you like to introduce this record, Brie?
2: This one expands on the sound of the debut, but with intriguing fresh elements like live strings and re-recorded melodies from the Beach Boys and the Pretenders, it intermixes futuristic elements with classic vibes. The band also felt more comfortable collaborating with each other at this point. They had gotten into a groove and a rhythm, with Butch Vig stating, there was a better sense of camaraderie and sense of communication. Uh, Shirley Manson wrote all the lyrics while living by herself in a hotel, which has spooky vibes. The percussion was actually recorded in this dilapidated factory in Madison, Wisconsin, because of its dynamic acoustics. But the police ended up shutting them down due to noise complaints. So... You can hear the sounds of that on Temptation Waits, I think I'm Paranoid and Hammering in My Head.
0: Let's listen to some hammering in my head right now then, because that's definitely one of the songs that I really like for these yeah, records.
1: The I knew you were mine for the seeking. I knew you were mine for the seeking. Your eyes light up when I walk in the room. I knew my own doing stuff. The blue truth to you
0: to Los Angeles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Overall, what are your personal thoughts about this record, Bree?
2: I think it's really great. Um, It didn't have as much of an influence on me as the debut, but I think that it's definitely a great extension of it, and it really beefs up their discography in a really solid way. Um, Hammering in my head specifically, I really like the chaotic instrumental and the intense vocal effects. I think that I interpret the message as stress and busy, chaotic lifestyles tearing our relationship apart. That's how I've always seen the lyrics anyway, so it is... It's a lot.
0: <laughs> I think I described it as dark, pulsing and mainly electronic, which I think really fits in with this record, with the song Proceeded For It's Special, which has an awesome guitar driven riff that isn't super electronic driven. It's really like these two tracks side by side really showcases uh, the band's talents um, on both sides of their sound. It's really cool, but I I think it kind of reflects your thoughts about this record overall. Brie, uh, to me, this album is basically the debut, but not quite as good. Don't get me wrong, this album is still fantastic and it's just a really solid collection of songs. But the hooks to me aren't there as much. And I mean, there's definitely some new tweaks to their sound for sure, but it doesn't add enough for me to really like stand out compared to the debut, if that makes any sense. But like I said, I think uh, Standing on Its Own, it's a great record. I, I would be reminisced if I didn't mention the uh, massive single from this record, uh, I Think I'm Paranoid, classic garbage tracks that has just a monster hook of a chorus. And it's just quintessential garbage, garbage listening. It, as all the harm marks you know from this band, it's pumped up, electro rock, and has a melancholy theme over it. So let's hear a little bit of I Think I'm Paranoid. <laughs> song i really want to mention is the trick is to keep breathing it has a really cool slick slow burn to it and i think it has a great build as well yeah i I mean like i said there's a lot of solid songs in this it's just it's definitely not a sophomore slump far from it does not like bomb or anything but i mean it's just when you come off of as good of a debut as their self-titled was it is a little hard to live up to it and hard to not make comparisons
2: I agree. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about the lyrics to "I Think I'm Paranoid" a little bit because it gives me the same vibe as "Bottom um, Motel" by Crass. The narrative is sarcastically encouraging somebody to use the speaker, and it's a commentary on feeling slighted, um, maybe emotionally manipulated even. So there's a line in there that says, "Bend me, break me, any way you need me, as long as I want you, baby, it's all right," and uh, bon Motel is filled with similar lines like, Slice my flesh and I'll ride the scar, put me into gear like your lady car. Um, so I think it's interesting that this song reminded me of one that came a long time before it, just because of the emotionality of it. And Push It is also really amazing. It's an edgy club anthem, has the feel of like partying to avoid your problems. It reminds me a lot of how on tumblr and twitter and like the 2010s a lot of people romanticized the show skins uh the uk version because since the drinking age is lower in that part of the world um there's a ton of club scenes where all these teenagers are literally in these huge opulent nightclubs like dancing and getting into fights and crying and being generally <laughs> mentally ill um i always think of the scenes from that show when i listened to that song
0: i think i've said everything i wanted to say about version 2 2.0 sorry i forgot about the point oh i think it's a really solid record definitely worth anyone's time um but yeah just maybe not quite up to the standards since the debut um anything else you want to say about version 2.0
2: No, just that I agree with your summation. I would say metaphorically, even though I don't even really like meat, um, it's like the debut is like the meat, and then version 2.0 is like the potatoes. Like they're both very substantive and filling um, together, but version 2.0 is like a little bit less so. Just a little bit. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I think that's a a fantastic way of putting it. All right, now we're going to move on to the next record, which has, quite frankly, an album title that if the band didn't use, it would be quite a missed opportunity so why don't you go ahead and introduce that one brie
2: so beautiful garbage came out in 2001 when i was one year old it deviated from their usual sound introducing a more melodic feel and bits of hip-hop like with till the day i die plus new wave influences included prince and blondie you can kind of see that on breaking up the girl the production is more stripped down compared to the previous release Guitar, one of the guitars i should say because steve does guitar too But uh, Duke Erickson said that the only vision they had was that they wanted it to sound different. Shirley Manson maintained a weekly blog during the album's writing and recording to update fans on the process, which is a very 2001 thing, right? Having like a blog. Yeah, but I feel
0: like (laughs) even for them, though, at the time, um, I mean, I'm sure blogs were starting to really pop up then. But as far as a way of promoting music, especially directly from, you know, a musical artist, that was probably pretty novel and innovative at the time I would say
2: yeah I meant that it was new and trendy at the time it's very significant because in 2001 it would have been like ooh, a blog. but now like everybody with a website has one like for their professional stuff I feel like if especially if you do freelance work or anything like that like I even have a blog. <laughs> but in 2001 it would have been like they have their finger on the pulse they're being so trendy and hip The title is indeed a reference to Celebrity Skin by Hole, and they did get Courtney's permission to do that, because if they didn't, she probably would have held it against them forever, because if you know anything about her or her social media presence, then you know that if ever she thinks that somebody is copying her, she will make a big deal about it and be like, oh my god, we never get any credit for these things, so... Good move on their part to run it by her first, even though I really don't think they should have had to because they were influential in the scene in their own right. And just who cares? That's how art is supposed to be. So Shut Your Mouth has a really cool, distorted, I call it like the, well, I'm not the only one who calls it this, but like a talking guitar effect, like the Wawas with record scratches. And it sounds really hip for the time that it came out. It's really rhythmic and catchy. And Manson isn't quite rapping because if she was rapping I'd be like I don't know about this but she has a lot of spoken word lines where she's more talking than singing
0: yeah and you know this this is this was kind of a pleasant surprise for me this this one I definitely didn't know about even though the song that got us talking about garbage for this episode um comes off this record apart from that track and maybe a couple other I, I didn't really know this record so I wasn't really sure what to expect I, I honestly I was expecting to like this record less than the previous two, just I was just I was expecting to have like a a very slight but definite downward slope in like quality, let's say, going from the debut to here. But this album really blew me away. Um, you mentioned kind of the rhythmic sound of it, kind of the new additions to the sounds such so like record track, scratches, like on the intro track or till the day I die. I think this this record adds a lot more to their sound than the previous record did, and. Uh, even though it is a long one it does take a little bit to get through it definitely doesn't feel like it this record really kind of took me by surprise and in how interesting it was and i think this definitely stands out as one of the better records i i'm sure there's plenty of tracks you'd like to highlight here Bree, and i will let you do so
2: yes androgyny is a glamorous bubblegum techno rock bop and it makes me want to be a drag king <laughs> There's the line, nothing in life is set in stone. There's nothing that can't be turned around. Nobody wants to feel alone. Everybody wants to love someone. That makes me think of social constructs and how ideas can be challenged or subverted and people can be or do whatever they want. One of the things that outrages transphobes I think the most is this idea that a woman is somebody who identifies as a woman and a man is somebody who identifies as a man. They have this real problem with gender being something arbitrary and something that is fluid and it makes them very uncomfortable, but the song fully embraces that, which I appreciate. Then of course there's the chorus, uh, boys in the girls' room, girls in the men's room, you free your mind and your androgyny. It's aged in an interesting way, given how queer people, as I said before, are villainized and portrayed as predatory in conservative media which of course is just a continuation of a long-standing legacy. It specifically invokes the trans restroom discourse wherein people are outraged by the idea of using the one which matches your gender identity. If Ben Shapiro listened to this song, it might get him even more worked up than John Lennon's Imagine. If you haven't seen the video or heard the audio of his commentary on that song you really should listen to it because it's hilarious how angry he is about a song that invokes imagery of unity and peace and love he basically thinks that it's communist propaganda and the most disgusting thing to exist. so if that makes him that mad then this would like give him a stroke or something There's also a line, um, no sweeter taste than you could find than fruit hanging ripe upon the vine, which reminds me of Adam and Eve might be a continuation of the band incorporating religious themes with the Forbidden Fruit. I don't know. Also, the music video is cute. It features Shirley and outfits that incorporate some masculine elements like ties, blazers, and suspenders, which I think is cool. She also has like a really short pixie cut.
0: Yeah, inter- I, I can't imagine there were a lot of songs being released like this at the time in, in a very celebratory manner. All right, well, before we continue, let's listen to a little bit of...
1: Hanging right upon the vine there's never been a noise that's so divine. A river deep, that never runs dry. what you need, what you need, what you need, what The birds and the bees, they hum along. Like treasure, they twinkle in the sun. Get on board and have some fun. Take what you need to turn you on.
0: should probably go next to talking about cherry lips go baby go another song from this record that just kind of goes hand in hand with androgyny maybe not as explicit in its celebration of the lgbtq plus community but it's definitely so and um also the song that got us to talk about this band it's one that came up with shuffle so i won't play it again here but i know this is a song that really means a lot to you am i
2: correct yeah definitely i would disagree that it's less explicit it specifically speaks of a boy that quote looks just like a girl. <laughs> so, maybe it's just not something you you would pick up on upon a first listen though. I would agree with you in that way. It's really um uplifting and like you said celebratory. It explores gender nonconformity and queer presentation and that does make it one of my favorite songs ever. There's a line, you're such a delicate boy in a hysterical realm of an emotional landslide in physical terms, and I think that this reflects how failing to adhere to normative standards of dress in public makes people uncomfortable and even infuriated, which sadly makes it dangerous. There's always the risk of a hate crime if you don't pass well enough to one gender in the binary or another, and that's, you know, that's really very real and very scary, which I think emphasizes how the protagonist of the song is very brave. It's just such, there's such sweet imagery too, with the lines, you hold a candle in your heart, you shine a light on hidden parts, you make the whole world want to dance. Positive representation and perception of marginalized groups, it helps us have a better odds at thriving in a world that's accepting.
0: And um, there's a reason why this song was in my favorites playlist when I came up in Shuffle. I think you you introduced me to the song, Brie. I didn't really know this track before I started dating you. And at some point, I think you might have played it in the car or something. But the more I've listened to it, the more it's really grown on me. And it's become one of my favorite garbage songs. And it's so unlike... Tone, especially tonally anything else they've ever made first of all i i think the the, the electronic um elements are here in full display as a great opening electronic riff uh with a really nice happy chorus kind of emblematic of like nirvana or something how to do like quiet verse loud chorus you know having that electronic verse distorted chorus i thought that was pretty cool but the lyrics like you kind of addressed, put, put this track over the top to me. Uh, they celebrate the community in a way that is encouraging, especially in celebrating, you know, cross-dressing, uh, at least to me, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but stuff like cross-dressing, drag shows and just gender non-conforming people, transgender people in general. And um, I mean, God, this, this song is just, is begging to be like in a drag performance. Uh, like that, that's the, that's just what this, song sounds like, Uh, androgyny too, for that matter. Um, And I'd love to see, see someone do this one day. I would, they would win, win me over instantly just by using the song. I just love how positive the song is. And I do celebrate some of the more embracing of mental health trials that Manson will sing about, but this is easily their happiest song and the most positive song in their discography in in my mind there's this is one part in the song where romancing is literally cheering on the subject it it is just so nice to hear especially in 2001 the first date to like legalize gay marriage was not too far away but like still was wasn't great lgbtq plus rights wasn't great especially transgender rights at the time and to hear a song like this from like a popular band at the time i can only imagine how uplifting that might've been for someone who is gender non-conforming, someone who is transgender to hear at the time.
2: Even the music video literally has Shirley's torso run away from her and pee in a bathroom while standing up. <laughs> Like, I do think it was very, very subversive, especially for the time in a way that's super
0: great. It's such an important song for them to have made. And I, I do have to ask, since we've talked about drops, we are talking about Cherry Baby Go right here. Early on in the career, they definitely seemed like they were showing some support for the LGBT community, or at the very least were willing to talk about them in a way that wasn't like, ooh, wild, crazy, you know, or like grossed out or anything like that. You know, they were talking about them as like people and showing their support for them have you heard anything about a if Shirley Manson is you know is is part of the community or the very least like how the community has kind of reacted to garbage do you think they've genuinely embraced those who are maybe like into alternative music uh, they've embraced, you know, garbage and their, like, messages with these songs and whatnot?
2: Yeah, Shirley has said in a semi-recent interview, I think that it was from 2015, I want to say, that um, they've always been friends to the LGBTQ plus community, and they have recognized members that consistently come to their concerts and they've even had a few reach out to them and tell them how they've influenced their personal journey especially transgender fans it's my understanding that they are very good allies all
0: right um and then moving on to some of the other tracks from this record that kind of stood out to me i think you meant shut your mouth was a great Opening track had this marching riff under fantastic lyrics about how women are put down in society. I thought that was a really awesome track. Uh, Parade is a really underrated banger. Garbage pulls that near the end of the record. But something I really want to mention is that they have a lot of like almost power ballad-esque tracks on here that I really liked, including uh, Drive You Home. The album closer, So Like a Rose, and a track that I know you really want to talk about, Can't Cry-, Can't Cry These Tears.
2: Yeah, that one? has harmonies with soaring triple-tracked vocals, which exposes additional inspiration from 60s girl groups, along with uh, production techniques that are from that decade, like tremolo, which just means like trembling strings, like really wobbling instrumentals. It's possibly the most saccharine song from the band, in my opinion. Like I know we said that Cherry Lips was their happiest one. I think this one is their sweetest one. It's just very sincere and earnest. And I just wanted to mention it because it adds another layer to all the different genre influences that are going on on the whole album. All
0: right, well, let's listen to a little bit of that song right here. <laughs> closing thoughts on this record beautiful garbage does i don't know does this kind of land in like your top three at least like uh garbage albums for you brie yes like what like maybe number two three
2: yeah i think number two and then version 2.0 is three okay
0: interesting all right yeah i mean i think i don't think this quite hits my top three in fact we're about to get to one of my top three records next i think my favorite is the debut like yours but um, Beautiful Garbage definitely blew up my expectations. Like I said earlier, and finally I had a chance to get around listening to this. It's a great record. I, Essential Garbage listening, recommend anyone, uh, go pick it up. So go pick it up. Jeez, we're in the streaming age, Andrew, uh, Jesus,
2: pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. <sighs>
0: This isn't a ska record either, so.
2: They should make a ska record, I would totally listen to that.
0: (laughs) Alright, there's the thought experiment. What the hell would a ska record sound like from Garbage? What what, what would a sad but like seductive ska record sound like is the better question.
2: I have no clue, but it would be iconic.
0: (laughs) Or Absolute Garbage. Wait, that's the name of their compilation. That's already taken. I don't know. Let's move on. (laughs) I don't know if this is underrated per se. Um, as far as critical reception goes, don't know where "Beautiful Garbage" landed, but I will say this: I feel like I don't hear their follow up to that record, their fourth record, bleed like me, brought up all that often when talking about this band. At the very least, not as much as their as the previous three. But so I think it's a little uh, unfair. So I think this album. At least from my perceptions, a little underrated. Maybe I'm wrong. But before we get into the album itself, let's kind of talk about it um, a little bit, kind of leading up to it. The, The recording process of this record was a little rough. They definitely wanted to go in a more straightforward rock direction, which is definitely something kind of compared to the rest rest of the records easily notable you don't hear as much of the electro part of that electro rock sound it definitely appears don't get me wrong but this is a more straightforward alt rock record that we're going for which is quite the uh thing to do in 2005 which is when this album was released uh the making of this record was a little Tumultuous to say the least. Actually, even um, the band was just kind of spatting serious at times. They were just really struggling to kind of land on a similar artistic direction in 2003, I should say. That's when the first recording process first started. It even led to a four-month uh, hiatus for the band. Manson also needed surgery on her vocal cords during this time, and a, a freaking tractor, I think, like plowed into the side of the recording studio with it, which left them unable to record for a couple weeks. So.
2: It's a very Wisconsin thing to happen.
0: Oh, they were yeah, they were recording Wisconsin. That's right. So yeah, quite frankly, midwestern Greek tragedy. Yeah, basically yeah, uh, essentially. And on top of all that, though, something I don't really hear talked about this record as much, uh, which is weird to me because this record. Has an overall theme here much more so than the previous records. I mean, it's essentially, it's always sounded like a breakup record to me, uh, with themes of a toxic ending, relationship ending, being like the main theme, kind of tying uh, all these songs together. At least most of them. I was curious, so I looked up Manson's dating history, which I normally don't like doing i i don't care about the personal lives but i in the context of figuring out this record i was curious and sure enough uh she was married to a scottish artist named eddie farwell i couldn't tell you who he is and quite frankly i don't care um and i believe they were married from 90, 1996 to 2003 uh, divorcing either before or during uh, the tumultuous process of recording process of this record so I haven't seen any interviews of like Manson mentioning her then husband and how that may have played in with this record. Uh, so obviously I don't I can't say definitively you know, the amounts that break that divorce had in this record, but with basic deductive reasoning, it is fair to say that yeah, sure that that, that divorce certainly did have a play, or at least a very role in her writing process as far as the lyrics go on this record. But, anyways, that being said, that's kind of all the background behind here. But I I don't know. I think this record sounds really cool. They landed on making a record, like I said earlier, that sounds more like their live show. It's more rock oriented. And it kind of has a basic but fresh sound to it, you know, compared to the other ones. It's a little more simplified, but um, really lets those hooks breathe and really just wrote some bangers on here. I, I absolutely loved how this record sounds and their approach to it. The uh, st- standout track for me is the intro track, Bad Boyfriend, which kind of references like a toxic relationship with, because the, the narrator is literally begging someone to be their troubled partner. At least that's what it sounds like. It's a little sad, but also uh, kind of adds that seductive elements that we've talked about before as well uh, with this track. Uh, let's hear a little bit of uh, Bad Boyfriend. Uh, moving on, Run Baby Run is another kind of fast-paced, punky track that uh, follows the intro. "Believe Like Me is the big single from this record, and I believe Manson's kind of talked about this being a metaphor for self-destructive desires. Sex is Not the Enemy is pretty uh, straightforward. It's a great feminist track about sexual liberation. But before I move any further though, Brie, um I kind of want to know where you kind of land this record. I know we talked a little bit about this before. Listening to it, I know you're not as high on this record as I am. I just wanted to see uh, if there's any thoughts you wanted to share at this point.
2: This album is definitely still in my top five. Like, it's not like Garbage has any albums that are straight up. Just like, this is really bad. You would say
0: Garbage, maybe.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I like it just not as much as their other stuff. You forgot to mention who's featured on Bad Boyfriend, though.
0: No, it's uh, Dave Grohl. He played drums in this record, which he had this weird habit. I wouldn't say weird. It's kind of a cool habit, to be honest, and playing a bunch of, like, playing drums on a bunch of rock tracks in between Duke Stuff of the Foo Fighters. I think he played drums on one of the Queens of the Stone Age's first big singles, uh, No One Knows. I think he was the one to play drums on that. So, yeah, very reminiscent of that. Kind of did a lot of that at the time, which is pretty cool.
2: I also wanted to say that I love songs about men written by women way more than I like songs about women written by men. Because if a man is making a song about a toxic girlfriend, it's usually some Weezer shit like, I met this girl and she was pretty, but then she left me and then it just has a really whiny tone where it's like when you're not here to do my laundry or something and then (laughs) uh,
0: is that what undone the sweater song is about this is the woman (laughs) didn't want to do his laundry yeah is that why he was so upset that his girlfriend ruined his sweater not three you or yeah you unearthed the secret of some music i think
2: but then when a woman writes a song about a toxic man, it's always like, You rip my heart from its gaping cavern, but I'm still sexy anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little more empowered. They try to grow us the way out of it, which is fair enough. Um definitely cool. Uh, I don't know if Manson wrote the lyrics to both of these. I think she might have, but she they wrote two tracks uh, about the Iraq War. One of them being uh, "Metal Heart," which is actually a really good look at a soldier's uh, psyche. With the chorus reading, "But now that we know for sure, they're telling lies when they say no one gets hurt and therefore nobody dies." You know, it's hard to believe anything that you hear. They say the world is round. I think that's a really good summation of kind of how they do this Orwellian doublespeak, you know, kind of idea in the U.S., especially they, I mean the U.S. government, um, whenever they want to push for wars. Obviously, this was, uh, was almost released and uh, written, sorry, sorry, it was released after and written shortly after the invasion into Iraq by America, which I don't know about you, Brie, but I don't I think that turned out okay, right? I don't think there were any massive like issues with that, and it wasn't based off a bunch of you know bullshit reasons. And uh, no civilians died, no soldiers came back, and were left homeless. That none, none of that happened, right, Brie?
2: Yeah, it was all totally fine. Definitely not a blatant example of draconian imperialism, and a reflection on the flawed state of the American Empire
0: yeah i i'm, I'm american I don't, I don't even know what those things mean
2: i don't think you're gonna get a republican audience what what what
0: what do you mean brie what, what what makes you think that
2: only soy boys listen to garbage <laughs> only manic pixie dream girls listen to garbage
0: Sonic shuffles only is soy boy approved. Yeah, uh Metal Hearts a really good. Reason why I like this track, not only is because it it, it's not like amazing, it's not like the greatest anti-war song I've ever heard, although everyone knows I'm a bit of a sucker when they, for those types of songs, but um, it, it was still really solid, and it came at a time where, believe it or not, anti-war tracks weren't very popular. They weren't really coming out that much. Um, you had some system of a down song, sure, but like, even when like the dixie chicks remember at the time would do like tepid you know responses against the iraq war and like people had a meltdown over this i mean jesus this was during the time of freedom fries because you don't want to be associated with the french because you know they dared had the gall to say you know this iraq invasion we're not going to do that with you all so everyone was like traitors how dare you we have freedom fries now totally stills the case today but yeah no i think this record's really good um i i really feel like it should be mentioned more often when talking about their uh discography even though it is technically i believe their hardest charting highest charting album in terms of like sales and success so uh that's kind of i don't know about sales per se but i think it charted the highest in like billboard or whatever so good job his record i guess um Certainly certainly Up There is one of my absolute favorite Garbage Records. And yeah, I think if you haven't heard this one before, you should check it out. Any other thoughts about this record, Bree?
2: Just that I think that it's cool to have a more rock-oriented album from this band. I think that it shows that they're very well-rounded and capable of a ton of different things. I'm glad that they got to go in that direction, even though it was very difficult at first. And that we um still ended up getting a really good record out of it in the end.
0: All right, I guess we're going to move on to uh, Not Your Kind of People, which is the fifth album. Although there is a lot of time in there to fill and talk about, because actually, I think during the world tour for, you know, in support of People Like Me, they went on an indefinite hiatus, basically, and decided to go their separate ways and work on different projects. Manson herself, she tried her hands at going solo, and signing to deal with Geffen Records, who I want to say signed Garbage, was the one who signed Garbage, Am I mistaken on that, brief?
2: Um, I don't think so.
0: Okay. If I'm wrong, then it's by me. So she actually tried her hands on making a soul record, which she presented to people at Geffen in 2008, who rejected it <laughs> because they didn't like how it sounded and they eventually just mutually decided to just let her leave the label. Manson later said, Geffen wanted me, and this is a direct quote from her, Geffen wanted me to have international ready hits and be the Annie Lennox of my generation, who I think was some vaguely like political musician, artist from like the 70s, 60s. I don't know much about her. I don't know if that name's familiar with you at all, Brie. she's, she, which Manson said, I kid you not, I'm coding directly. I made a quiet, very dark, non-radio friendly record. And I'm presuming they didn't want that. They really wanted her to start making pop hits, basically, which uh, wasn't really, like, the direction that Shirley wanted to take, believe it or not. Um, Not really the music she makes, so.
2: Yeah, yeah, like everyone else in the band, she clearly appreciates pop music, but the overall aesthetic of theirs has never been super... um, uh squeaky clean or anything
0: no fortunately this album has never been released uh, as far as i know which is a real shame so i'd really like to hear it and it actually led manton to take a break from music for a little bit uh but shvig meanwhile did some production got back doing a lot of production work for stellar bands like jimmy eat world recording their sixth album chase this light which i'm gonna do some spotify history, um, included classic tracks like Big Casino, and there's no other funny songs on this, song titles on this record, but yeah, I don't know if this is, this. I, don't even, I think this is like a mid-tier Jimmy Eat World record, which is, <laughs> uh, doesn't sound like a good record. I know one song from this, Electable, uh, Give It Up, because that was, a, uh, I think, included on a video game I used to play, so there's that, but yeah, no, not, not, not a stellar one. He did work with Against Me on uh, their releases under Sire Records, New Wave and White Crosses. Not the strongest Against Me records in my um, summation, but I still think they're pretty really good and it's a good band to work with, obviously. And he also, uh, both probably most notably during this time, produced Green Day's follow-up to their smash hit uh, American Idiot with the album 21st Century Breakdown, which I think uh, you and I, Bree can both agree was definitely a, a green day album it was i i have a question brie mm-hmm. do, do you know your enemy yes but do you know your enemy
2: yeah
0: i don't think i understand brie do you know your? okay uh anyways <laughs> it's dairy
2: <laughs> i'm lactose intolerant
0: so that song was about this whole time so about being being lactose intolerant <laughs> anyways sorry sorry for the green day aside but um yes anyways so that's what uh the two most notable numbers of this band erupted during this time but around the time and Probably about 2009 is when uh, Butch and Shirley were talking again, and shortly after they decided uh, they wanted uh, to get Garbage back together and record some new material. This, record, this, this ended up with uh, some you know, recording sessions and whatnot, and uh, the record was eventually released in 2012, which again was called Not Your Kind of People, uh, under their band's own record label, Stun Volume. Um, yeah, they were an independent band at that point after being dropped from their label, Uh, around the time, of Bleed like me, I want to say, and they've been independent ever since. Now, uh, as far as my thoughts on this record, uh, first of all, I should say this record, I think they'd want to take a little more of an industrial approach to this, at least slightly, from my understanding, and uh, definitely embrace a lot of the more electronic elements of their sound. This is definitely more electronic heavy, I would say, than a lot of their other previous records. And if you ask me, I'd say this is the weakest record. It's not bad, but it just kind of felt a little uninspired and at times just kind of like a missed opportunity. Like I mentioned it kind of being industrial sounding. And uh, honestly, I really wish that was direct. I would have really liked to hear like almost a full on industrial like rocks, like album from this band. Uh, you heard a bit of it, like in the intro to the song Big Bright World, which is the second track. It had this really cool industrial inspired in, uh, intro. that was very Nine Inch Nails-esque. Uh, but it eventually evolved to, like, a rave rock song. It wasn't bad. It was just not the direction I was hoping they would go in. And it's it just, it, this whole record just kind of feels like a weird, like, part of their career, and they just had a lot of ideas. They didn't feel like they fully flushed out, and I really wish there was certain ones they would expand upon. And also, the production, this whole record kind of feels of its time. It sounds very much like you know late 2000s, early 2010s which was especially in popular music, a very dire point in music in, in, in my opinion and by songs like Blood for poppies just kind of reminds me a lot of the hooks and the production of the time and not in a good way. I don't know um, this record, I don't think this record's all bad, but before I kind of move further, um, I kind of want to hear what your thoughts are on on this record, Brie.
2: Yeah, it sounds very mainstream for the time that it came out, which is really surprising and not really like them, I don't think. There isn't anything particularly innovative or exciting about it, and that's why I think it falls flat for me.
0: Yeah, um, but like I said, this record isn't all bad. There's uh, I think like the later half, of this record's pretty good. Um, there's one song I would like to kind of highlight here is the song "Felt." I think that's really. Cool. I think the biggest part of, for me with this album is that it just—it it sounds like the band's trying to get back in the swing of things. They hadn't released music in a while. This is like, I think, an 11 year gap from the previous record. So it sounds like they're just getting back in the swing of things. Uh, they, maybe they didn't have the most cohesive idea together going through this record, but it was obviously probably the biggest thing for this album was just getting the band back together. Otherwise, it's, it's not it's hugely essential listening, I would say all right well we'll move on to another not hugely notable moment in their career this uh we're going all the way to 2016 with their six record yeah six records strange little birds uh i think this record's for me definitely better than the previous um album if not maybe a little safe for the band it definitely invokes the sound of the first couple records you know very electric rock but somehow even more moody and melancholy this album's definitely more atmospheric but still definitely has a lot of the punch that those records did um the press release at the time from this record this album was released said it is a sweeping cinematic record of unified mood darkness which i think is a great way of summing up how this record sounds while about the same length as those first two records it clocks over 50 minutes it feels longer than that than those albums though not necessarily in a good way. It drags at times, some of these songs probably could have been cut down a little bit for length, or maybe just some of the songs straight up cut from the record, but there's not a ton of filler on here. I guess my overall critique of this record, that it just maybe plays it a little too safe. I don't mind the sound of it, but um, yeah, I guess I wish they would have maybe done a little bit more with it, but I still really enjoyed it. That being said, um, I definitely want to play a song here. Uh, I think one of, not maybe the lead single for this record. Empty, uh, which is a classic garbage style single, uh, brings back the classic formula of pumped up electro rock under lyrics of self-loading, <laughs> basically. The riff kicks ass too, my bad, so let's listen to favorite garbage songs i really like this track and there's other another song i want to point out it's uh blackout i think that song is really good it's a nice example of the record's more slow burn approach uh no gods no masters released last year in 2021 definitely one of the more recent records i've talked about on the show that's not true i've actually talked about quite a few releases in 2021 so but not what i would have maybe a year ago even expected uh to come from garbage i was actually a little surprised when this record came out i didn't even know they were releasing a record let alone a hour and 20 minutes worth of music although granted a lot of these songs had been previously released but still it's a long record and one i wasn't expecting to come out at the time and uh um, I remember actually sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in right now to record this, and you were on the couch behind me, and I pointed it out, and you were like, whoa, what's this? And we listened to the songs, and I think we really liked them. But I want you to say your piece about this record first, Bri.
2: Um, This whopping seventh album spans many eclectic sounds, but it's still recognizable as garbage because it includes electro rock elements. These are blended with a subversive pop attitude inspired by the ethos of Roxy music and Talking Heads. Upon its release, I immediately recognized the title as an anarchist and labor rights slogan, which set a political tone. Shirley Manson said the album is, quote, a critique of the rise of capitalist short-sightedness, racism, sexism, and misogyny across the world. And not counting any deluxe editions, at least going based off of what Spotify has of their discography, it seems like it's the album that has the most tracks with 19.
0: And it's either the longest, by far.
2: Yeah so i want to talk about the song the men who rule the world it has a very straightforward theme that's immensely powerful the message is that the hierarchical economy of exploitation we live under is corrupt the casino sound effects might seem gimmicky to some people but i believe they aid the message effectively there's also an interesting line about the fleecing of the people which could reference a populace of conformist sheep or the extraction of resources and energy from people to fuel the system.
0: I think it also mentions a lot of stuff like the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter. It definitely sets up for this album's themes. I was like, this is the intro track I should add. So uh, let's listen to a bit of Men. Definitely a political record, for far and away. Not every track is political, but you could tell the band had a lot more, particularly Shirley I should say, a lot more to talk about on this record. Um, Obviously, between Strange Little Birds and this record released last year, um, there was a certain man that was in the White House, I don't know if you've heard of him, his name is Donald Trump. He's popular a very small portion of people, Uh, some may call him deplorable. People like you and me, Bree. I think we can both agree that he's awful and that the politics that he's whipped up, not only during his presidential campaign, but during his presidency, has left a really bad scar on this country and is continued to this day even though he's out of the White House. This, definitely, this record definitely feels like a response to his administration, his presidency and kind of a lot of the big events to happen during, during that time, which, uh, like I said earlier, the uh, B2 movement, they started up in what, 2017, 2018, I want to say, along with uh, the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests following the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. There's definitely a lot that sure really wanted to talk about. I think there was also a trip she took at the time to uh, Chile, I want to say. If I have that country wrong, let me know. but. Um, I think they were having a lot of political protests and unrest at the time, and I think this kind of inspired her to write a lot of the songs
2: in this record. Do you want to say that I'm very glad to hear the band going in this direction as far as the messaging, because obviously they had touched on social issues as far as the LGBTQ plus community before, but not really any kind of intersectional aspects like economic topics or race, so... I think that it's a really much needed way for them to flesh out their lyrics. So another track that I really wanted to highlight is Godhead. It continues the band's legacy of incorporating both sexual and religious motifs into their music, with Shirley Manson whispering, If I Had a Dick, Would You Know It? Which reminds me of the attitude that Lady Gaga exhibited in an interview during the time when rumors about her being a hermaphrodite were circulating. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Andrew, but it was actually a really big thing.
0: think you mentioned it to me before.
2: It was pretty mainstream. It was, I I don't know how it started, but during this interview, it was brought up and uh, about the possibility of her having a penis, she flippantly said, would that be so terrible? The obsession that cis people have with asking invasive questions about what is and isn't in queer people's pants is in my opinion, a response to the perceived ambiguity that comes with deconstructing gender it shows their insecurity with the idea that it relies more on identity again than some kind of binary objective biological science and it also just shows transphobia and thinking that queer people are just like freaks that it's perfectly fine to just ask super creepy questions about that kind of
0: thing. yeah you know, i i've seen interviewed like transgender activists will be talking like talk shows and someone asks, so have you had your surgeries yet basically and it's like it's not your fucking business shut up um, and and I agree, I think it's definitely like one, I think one of the takeaways I, I got from this listening to the song is talking about transphobia deconstructing gender. But I, I feel like another one, and I think Manson has kind of mentioned, mentioned this in interviews about the song that I think it also just addre- addresses uh, misogyny as well, just kind of talking about women not being able to be in leaderships because of what's between their legs, you know, that's obviously if they identify as a woman and they have a vagina. I mean, the spring much what she said and it's just talking about how they're supposed to be less than how they're supposed to be maternal and whatnot and they have a role in society and kind of flipping out of his head and yeah saying well if i had a tick would you would would you treat me differently talking about like when we use arbitrary ways of defining gender people are, are put into boxes and obviously that's not good or right and i think that's what uh she points out with this track
2: I agree. A girls talk featuring Bernie Dale, who is the legendary vocalist from The Distillers. I think this song commentates on women turning against each other, which is an unfortunate consequence of the patriarchy. The pick me girl phenomenon is still something that persists in several forms. Aspects of socially constructed conventional femininity are sometimes looked down upon, or the opposite happens, and deviating from these modes of expression is derided. In a more extreme context, there are, of course, TERFs who exclude trans women from feminist discourse and demonize them. Women should be free to do whatever makes them happy, and we should be a united and inclusive front. From a musical standpoint, I also think Brody's rough vocals offer a cool contrast to Shirley's singing.
0: Would you like to play a little bit of a girl's talk, Brie? Yes.
2: No they make
1: you weak,
2: they bring you to your knees,
1: and steal your power away. Girls talk shit when you're backed up against it, don't believe. Into the things they say You lose your common sense You've everything you need Love to bring you to your knees And watch you as you bleed And give your power away going stop shit when you're backed up against it
0: all right, any other songs you want to mention
2: yeah because the night i love the screaming females and this collaborative cover is super fun it's one of the more guitar driven tracks on the album which is very much welcomed
0: love that they got uh the screaming Females front woman on here i think that was really cool and one of two covers actually on this record because they also cover uh bowie Starman. i should also imagine there's a lot of collaborations on this record they got a lot of guest people on here. i think with so like a lot, a lot of these again a lot of these songs were had been released prior to this record but and they also got Brian Albert uh, on the song The Chemicals, who is the frontman of the Silverstone Pickups one of my favorite bands. So that was pretty cool as well. If there are two songs that I want to mention. Uh, first, I want to mention the song Waiting for God. You mentioned there's a lot of talks about gods and a lot of religious motifs here, and uh, particularly like an anti-religious lens at looking at certain issues. And in this case, this is about particularly the Black Lives Matter protests, it's um, very it's, Sad, dour, almost a ballad song about you know a mother who's lost her son to a police shooting, and presumably a uh, black son being lost to a police shooting, and it's very sad. And I think it, I think it's a very tasteful grasp at. You know kind of the issues related to uh violence against uh black people in this country and i think that i think there's even an interview quote where um manson said that this is a song that's made her cry like, thinking back on it so yes i know it's written by a white person but in, in ireland uh too uh you definitely tell this maybe especially like the George floyd case definitely hit a nerve with her and Made her want to write something about it, which I think she does a pretty good job with that.
2: Would you agree? Yeah, I definitely would. It, of course, it's important to acknowledge Shirley's privilege, but I think she's very aware of it, and I don't think that it makes it any less any less important.
0: And then going to my favorite song on this record is the title track, "No Gods, No Masters." I believe it was one of the singles for this released before this record. It just has this monster hook that I love. The lyrics are really good too. It's, it's obviously about people breaking away from from religion and finding freedom. Uh, this was inspired by uh, Manson's uh, trip to Chile, I mentioned earlier, before the release of this record, um, during a huge slots of political unrest and protests, the letter to want to write about people finding their freedoms. And obviously this is in the case context of religion and Man, but I tell you, the 50-year-old me going through my edgy atheist phase, and now I'm just just an atheist, and but this is a person that happens to be an atheist, but then I was, like, letting it define me. And, Same. Uh, yes, yeah, so I feel like both of us would have ate this song up if, if it had come out then, so. Uh, but I still love it now, and like I guess it looks great, so I want to play that for a <laughs> Overall, this record is a huge return to form for this band, in uh, my opinion. And yeah, it, it just, again, it came out of nowhere for me last year, but I love the hooks on this record. There's a lot of sonic diversity here. They add like lots lot of horns. I don't think I had heard horns before with garbage, um, but they use a lot of them here, which is pretty cool. It's just easily lands in my top three records of theirs. Yeah, I absolutely love this record.
2: There's a ton of good stuff here, there's a lot of material to go through. It's very, very impressive to, See it all lined up together, um, even though not all of it is one hundred percent new. It was new to me, and yeah, um, I
0: hadn't heard. I hadn't really heard any of these songs before.
2: Very pleasant surprise, and I will be excited for whatever material they decide to um, release next.
0: Yeah, a lot of times bands like this, you know, um, well, a lot of times in general, it's hard for artists to write like late stage like records that are really good and grab attention. I don't know how how this did. Um, critically or or whatnot but i really liked it and i know that i'm excited to hear whatever else garbage puts out um sounds like they're still going strong they know their sound they write it very well around it and i'm excited for whatever garbage does next easily i think that was the longest histography i've covered here not by much but certainly the longest discovery we've talked about here on the show thanks you brie for helping me uh come along with that and because that is currently where the story of garbage ends don't know if there are any plans to, to make new music, it sounds like they like to take a long breaks nowadays to to make records, which makes sense. Um, overall, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, like I said earlier, I'm really happy I got this artist for this episode. I, I hadn't really explored their albums fully, and while not every record is a smash of theirs, most of them are. Most of the records are really good. And probably one of the more consistent discographies you'll find in a rock band, and I don't know, I think it's really good. Is there anything else that you want to add about this band, Bree?
2: Garbage is a band that is very close to my heart. I think that they make music for um, people who've always felt like they are misfits in the world, and um, I'm just glad that they exist.
0: What well, a beautiful, kind way to end this episode, Bree. And thank you for that. Before we go, Bree tell the fine listeners of this episode where they can find you and your work and anything else you want to plug
2: yeah so i'm a graphic design and art person and you can follow me on instagram at brie the Fruit bat
0: but now who are we going to talk about next time in the show well that's not for me to decide now is it take care all